Good morning. Good morning. My name is David Jones, and I'm the senior pastor of the Village Church of Barrington. I've known your pastor for about, I was trying to think of it, at least a dozen years. And when I first met him, he was serving as an associate pastor as another church, and I was reminded this morning, too, he was the drummer. Did you guys know that? Like, you know, he, does he ever get out the chops and, and go at it? Um, Ellie and Cassie were small at that time, and Jared, who I saw this morning, couldn't believe it. Like, he, he wasn't even born yet uh, at that time. So Ryan sensed the Lord's leading to become a church planner, and he enrolled in the Harvest Training Center, which I was leading at that time, and he went through the program with distinction. Uh, as I got to know him over that year, I was impressed with his character and his doctrine, and as well as his ability to preach and lead. And so uh, I had actually the privilege of being at the launch of this church uh, back in 2009, although it was a different facility. It was not this facility. And since that time, I've watched it grow from afar uh, in kind of a grandfatherly pride uh, to see what, uh, how God has used Ryan. So when he reached out to me and invited me to preach this weekend, I was delighted uh, to do so. So I look forward to bringing the word of God to you. Now, most of us, if we're honest, do not perceive ourselves rightly. We've got an inflated view of our own abilities and importance. Uh, we think we are above average, if not superior. Now, my oldest son is finishing a doctorate, and one of the deals, uh, he had tuition remission, and in exchange for that, he would teach undergraduate classes in his discipline. And he had an interaction with a student that discouraged him. Uh, she came to him complaining that she deserved a higher grade for a test that had been administered. And so he looked over the test and, and he verified that certain things were right and certain things were wrong and, and that the grade was justified, but she was not satisfied with that. She said, I'm a good student. I deserve a better grade. I got all A's in high school. You know? So she appealed to the department chair and she showed him the test and the department chair sat down with her and said, well, actually, no, the, the grade here is accurate. She still was not satisfied, and I don't know if she appealed to the Academic Appeals Committee or the dean or what the deal was, but she just would not let it go. We tend to have an inflated view of our own abilities and importance, and sadly, this little vignette that I gave you here is not a unique experience. A 2015 study by the Pew Research Center revealed that U.S. students are 39th in the world when it comes to math. And yet, when it comes to our perception of how good we are at math, we are first in the world. In other words, we lead the world in self-esteem, even though not actual performance. 60% of high school students believe they are in the top 10% of their class. <laughs> Do the math on that. 60% believe they are in the top 10%, and 25% believe they are in the top 1%. This, this has been shown to be true. A 2011 study asked college students what they desire most, and on the list was money, sex, alcohol, food, friends, and praise. And do you know what the number one item was? Praise. They wanted experiences that would boost their self-esteem, uh, attention, recognition, good grades. One out of four college students currently meets the textbook definition for narcissistic personality disorder. Now, I don't want to just pick on the millennials. 
the baby boomer generation, of which I am part, treated our children as if they were the center of the universe. And the kids got the idea from us. And there's no shortage of ego in my generation either. A lot of that behavior was modeled by the parents for the kids. Now, when we have self-centered attitudes like that, that has a deleterious effect on the church. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we step off the throne of our life and we let Jesus take his rightful place on it. And so instead of glorifying ourselves, we now glorify him. Instead of being only concerned about ourselves, we become concerned about other people. Our eyes go from being inwardly focused to being outwardly focused. And in this way, Christianity is decidedly countercultural. Jesus teaches humility and self-sacrifice for the good of other people. There's only one star in the play, and that's Jesus. And the rest of us are the supporting cast. Now, it's my understanding that you've been working through Paul's letter to the Christians at Rome. Pastor Ryan asked if I would preach on the next section of text, which I am happy to do. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans 12. Get there myself. Title of this message is Gifted, How the Holy Spirit Empowers Us to Serve. So Paul has just given 11 chapters of heavy doctrine. And now at chapter 12, verse 1, he is turning the corner and he is beginning to address more practical concerns. He's just talked about the consecration of the body and the renewal of the mind in verses 1 and 2. And now beginning at verse 3, he transitions to the issue of congregational life, the way that Christians minister to one another. So once we get our own spiritual priorities sorted out, verses 1 and 2, our attention should turn to Christian community. And spiritual gifts are at the center of such activity. I've got two points First, we're going to see from verses 3 to 5 that we need to assess ourselves rightly. And then we're going to talk about using our spiritual gifts fully in verses 6 through 8. So my prayer for this message is twofold. And so for those of you who are not currently serving the Lord, whether in this church or outside the walls of this church uh, in the community, I pray that this message will lead you to a greater level of commitment and involvement in the ministry of the church. And for those of you who are already serving, I pray that this will help you focus on the area where you are most gifted to serve. Uh, To paraphrase Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, uh, we want to get you in the right seat on the church bus. Okay, So let's look at the first point then. Assess ourselves rightly. Assess ourselves rightly. So, as part of the renewal of our minds, Paul urges us not to have too high of an opinion of ourselves, but rather to assess ourselves rightly. And he also reminds us of our need for one another. Just as a body has different parts with different functions, so also the church has different people with different functions. Uh, Look at verse 3. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. For by the grace given to me, 
I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, I want you to notice here how verse 3 begins with the little word for. And what that means then is that verses 3 through 8 somehow relate to verses 1 and 2. What is that connection? Well, in verse 1, Paul says that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so a key aspect then of of giving myself to God as a sacrifice is offering uh, back to him the gifts and talents that he has given to me uh, for the good of other people to strengthen and expand the church. So I'm dying to self for the good of other people. Now in verse 2, Paul says that we should be uh, changed by the renewal of our minds. And so in verse 3, we see that part of this renewing of our minds that needs to go on is that we need to change the way we think about our own abilities and importance. So I am not fit to contribute to Christian community unless I first come to that decisive moment of consecration where I give my life to God and I begin that lifelong process of my mind being renewed. So let's begin with the way that we estimate ourselves. We see in verse 3 that we are not better than other people. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. Now, we shouldn't just fly by that. that that's one of those statements in the Bible that you can just read right over it because you want to get to like the meat or something. But this is not just the wind-up before the pitch. Paul is about to give them an important directive, and he's going to do it with apostolic authority. But he does it in a self-effacing way. He refers to his calling as an apostle as grace from God. In other words, this prominent role that he holds in the church is not something he deserved. It is a privilege of which he feels unworthy. So in saying this, like he does... He is modeling for us the kind of humility that he actually wants us to emulate. So here's the exhortation at the end of verse 3. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. So the renewal of our minds begins with a proper estimation of ourselves. We should not have an exaggerated view of our own importance or we could flip it the other way and we could have an exaggerated view of our lack of importance we could think too low uh, of ourselves rather we're to see ourselves as we really are no better no worse what we're good at what we're not so good at now paul doesn't use the word here but he's talking about humility back in the ancient roman world uh, the the idea was to get ahead to Promote yourself to make everybody think that you're great. And so you would do great exploits. You'd give a lot of money. You would try to do things that would get people's attention. And so Christianity, Jesus comes in with this message of humility. And that was not seen as a virtue by the Romans. So the Christian message, again, was counter-cultural. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. So according to Jesus, down is the new up. So what standard are we to use in thinking rightly about ourselves? God's 
sovereign choice. Look at the end of verse 3. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now that's a disputed phrase. Commentators go back and forth about it. I'm going to give you my bottom line. Paul is saying that some believers get more faith than others. And this enables them to manifest a greater degree of the Holy Spirit's power in their lives and ministries. Now, this is not faith for salvation, but this is faith for ministry. Faith to see God's supernatural power at work. So God gives some people a greater capacity to serve. Some gifts are more prominent or more powerful than others. So Paul had the apostolic gift. Now, that may seem unfair to us, uh, but God had his purposes. We could just as well complain about why some people are more athletic than others, or some are more intellectual than others, or some have better looks, or some have more money. The point is, is we're all different, and we're strong in some areas and weak in others. It's the sovereignty of God. He is the one who made us like this and put us in this situation. And so we are entrusted, each of us, uh, with certain gifts, at least one gift, perhaps multiple gifts, and we are responsible to be good stewards of those gifts. First Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, you're only held accountable for what you've been given. You know, if God gives you um, a gift with, like, say, power level 3 or something, he doesn't hold you accountable for power level 9, you know? We're accountable for what we've been entrusted with. Those who are given greater gifts are held to a higher standard of accountability, so it's fair. Now, when we have an inflated view of ourselves, it tends to increase isolation. When you view yourself as the star of the play and everyone else is an extra in your play, that has the effect of pushing people away. The more self-absorbed a person becomes, the more isolated they tend to be. And once we figure out that we are no better or no worse than anyone else, we begin to realize that we need each other. No man is an island, the saying goes. So Paul gives an analogy from the body of Christ in verses 4 to 5. We're not all the same. We have different functions to perform, just like the body does. For in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, verse 4. So we see unity and diversity in the human body. Different parts have different functions, but they all work together seamlessly for the common good of the body. And in fact, the level of cooperation in the human body is astounding. Um, body parts that don't function the way they're supposed to create a problem for the person. Have you ever had like one of those eye twitches? You just can't seem to get rid of it. And you're like talking to somebody, but your eye just keeps twitching. And you're like telling yourself, stop doing that. But it just kind of has a little thing of its own. You know, or, or, or you can't stop sneezing, or you can't stop hiccuping. It's, it's like your body is revolting against you and doing something. You know, or perhaps you have some physical condition. You know, I, I struggle with gout. Uh, I take medication to prevent it, you know, but every once in a while I'll have one of these attacks and my ankle will swell up like a football, you know, and it, you have to walk around on crutches and all that. Maybe you have some condition like that. When, when our body doesn't do what we want it to do, it can be extremely frustrating. It's no different for Jesus. 
when parts of his body don't do what he wants them to do, um, it's not good. He says, verse 5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Christ is the head. We are his body. And we are connected to one another by virtue of the fact that we are connected to him. The NIV says here, each member belongs to all the others. So we all need each other. Now, some of us overestimate our abilities of importance. We become like Narcissus, you know, the ancient myth. Uh, He was bending down to drink water from a pool, and he saw his own reflection and fell in love with it. And he just kept gazing at his reflection in the water. And he didn't want to put his hand in because the ripples would destroy the image. And so he just sat there and kept looking at himself until he died of thirst. You know, that was the Roman poet Ovid. He was onto something there about human nature. When we become consumed with ourselves, it will eventually lead to our destruction. Some people overestimate themselves. Others underestimate themselves. Perhaps there's something in our temperament or for some experience that we had or perhaps we had a perfectionistic mother who always nagged us and uh, was never pleased. For whatever reason, we lack confidence. Well, that's not good either. Because even a person who estimates himself or herself too low can still be self-absorbed. A healthy person has an accurate sense of where he or she is strong and weak. And so we shouldn't look down on the gifts of other people. We shouldn't look up to them too much. We shouldn't envy the gifts of others. The gifts that we have been given were the result of the Holy Spirit's sovereign choice. They are not for our own self-aggrandizement. We are more selfish than we think we are. Uh, I cited a Pew study earlier. Here was another one. Uh, 2015 poll, more than two-thirds of Americans, almost 70%, say that the term selfish applies to the average American. But when they flipped it around and asked the question, are you selfish? Only one out of six people, 16%, said they were. So what that means then is that when we look at other people, oh, those people are selfish, but we don't see ourselves as being selfish. There's a perception problem. Our selfishness hurts Christ's body, the church. When we do not surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ, but instead practice the American religion of the religion of self, we become like a spastic body part that doesn't do what we want it to do. This is what Christ experiences when individual Christians don't want to fall under his lordship, but want to do their own thing. Christianity is not a solo sport. We need each other. This brings us to our second point. We need to use our gifts fully. Use our gifts fully. So just as different body parts have different functions, so also the members of the church have different functions to perform in the church. And so Paul now enumerates seven different spiritual gifts. Three of them are speaking gifts and four of them are serving gifts. Now, spiritual gifts are special capacities given by the Holy Spirit uh, for believers to empower them for ministry. 
If you chase down all the New Testament texts that mention spiritual gifts and you make a list out of them, there's about 20 altogether. About 10 of them are speaking gifts and 10 of them are serving gifts. And they cover a wide spectrum. Some of them tend toward the miraculous, uh, like prophecy and healing and tongues. Others seem more ordinary to us, service, leadership, and administration. But regardless of how dramatic or not these gifts may be, all of them are needed for the health and growth of the church. All of them are important. So the New Testament teaches that every believer has at least one spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So these are ways that the Holy Spirit reveals His presence in our lives. Uh, so if you, have, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has given you a special capacity to serve uh, in uh, the body of Christ somewhere. And he wants you to use that gift to grow and to strengthen the church. So let's look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now again, it's important for me to stress that this list is not exhaustive, it's representative. Uh, so as the apostle works through these different gifts, it is evident that he wants us to serve in our wheelhouse. Um, this is where we have the potential to make the most impact for the kingdom. And the fact that he refers to them as grace highlights uh, the privilege of serving Christ uh, in the church. It's not a burden, it's a privilege. So let's go through each one of these gifts quickly. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a snapshot of what that gift looks like. And I'm hoping that as you listen to that, you'll be like, hey, that actually kind of sounds like me. Um, and maybe this will be just confirm what you already know. Maybe this will be new to you. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So prophecy is telling something that God spontaneously brings to mind. It's not revelation big R in the way that the scriptures are revelation from God. It's not like that. It's small R revelation. Uh, it's personal. It's occasional. God gives me an impression about something about another person, and I share that. But, but that is not above scrutiny. Like It needs to be evaluated and sifted to find out if it's really true or not. So how do you know if you have this gift? Well, here would be some things. I tend to be black and white uh, in my thinking. I don't like compromise. I speak boldly uh, with conviction about the things of God. I sometimes have unique insights uh, into people's lives. I confront sin. Uh, I challenge people to obey God's word. Uh, I'm less concerned about people's feelings, and I'm more concerned about them doing what is right. Uh, I sometimes have a sense of how things are going to turn out. If those ring true of you, that could be an indication that God may have given you the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now, where can you serve with a gift like that? Well, that serves preaching very well, a prayer ministry, counseling, perhaps small group leader. Uh, those would all be good areas for that person to serve. Now, there is a potential pitfall here, however. The person who claims to be using this gift does need to be consecrated to the Lord and be renewing their mind and be humbled. Because otherwise, if they're just running around, well, here's what God told me to tell you, all right? That might not be the gift of prophecy. Maybe they're just a jerk. 
you know? Um, so we've got to make sure that we're staying this in the spirit, all right? I'll just give one quick uh, story about this. One of the uh, stories that I didn't experience it personally, but I, it was told to me by a, a friend of mine who did experience it. So there was a church up in uh, Wisconsin that had a guest speaker, a missionary speaker. And during the middle of his sermon, he, he had his whole sermon prepared out. Right in the middle of the sermon, he stopped and he said, he said, the Holy Spirit is impressing on me that there is someone here tonight. You've just left your wife and your kids. And God wants to reach out to you and he wants you to come into a relationship with him and he wants to unite your family back again. I don't know who that was for, but if that's you, come talk to me afterward. So then he went on with the rest of his sermon. Well, unbeknownst to him completely, a guy had just walked in off the street. He had just left his wife and kids, had snuck up into the balcony of the church. He just thought, maybe I can find help in the church. He heard the missionary say this. He comes down afterward. He becomes a believer, comes back with his wife and kids. The wife eventually becomes a believer. The family was reunited. That's how the gift of prophecy works. Spontaneously, uh, God reveals something to you and you, you tell it. Okay, let's talk about the gift of service. If service in our serving. Now, the Greek word uh, that's used here for service is related to our word deacon. Uh, it was used narrowly for the waiting on tables, but then it became used for all kinds of, of practical help uh, that you would give to other people. Uh, so all Christians are supposed to serve, but there are some people who actually have a spiritual gift for doing it. So here would be some diagnostic uh, questions or statements. I readily follow directions. I prefer working behind the scenes. I like to meet practical needs. Uh, I notice that tasks need to be done and I just do them without even being told. Uh, I'm hesitant to proceed with an important task uh, without uh, the expectations for that being clear. So where could a person with the gift of service serve? Well, hospitality ministry, a children's ministry, ushers, worship production, uh, communion servers, uh, deacon, all of those uh, could use that gift. Now, there's a potential pitfall, though, with that gift, and it's burnout. Oftentimes, the person with the gift of serving has a hard time saying no. They just see a need, they want to meet it. And so every need they see, they just want to jump in. Or if somebody asks them, they just have a hard time like setting boundaries. And so if they do that, keep saying yes, 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 uh, they can eventually get burned out. Let's talk about the gift of teaching. The one who teaches in his teaching... Now, teaching involves explaining the Bible, uh, grounding people in, salt, uh, in, false, in true doctrine, and then refuting false doctrine. And so it involves taking complex subjects and explaining them in such a way that they're understandable. It's putting the cookies on the lower shelf. Uh, now, many of us teach in various settings, uh, perhaps at our work or perhaps uh, with our children. You know, we teach them things, but there are some of us who are especially gifted at teaching. And so maybe these statements would be true of you. I'm energized by studying scripture and then sharing my findings with others. I know the Bible better than most Christians. I'm good at taking difficult concepts and making them understandable. Uh, when people are facing a tough decision, I provide biblical principles and examples uh, for them uh, to make an informed choice. And then I feel a great burden for people who are biblically illiterate. Uh, so people with the gift of teaching, good places for them to serve, small group leader, Bible study leader, children's ministry teacher, uh, or an elder uh, even. Potential pitfall. One of, the, one of the temptations that people with the gift of teaching can fall into is when they get asked a simple question, they give an elaborate 
answer. Well, I have five points for that. <laughs> and the person's like, whoa, information overload. You know, we have to watch that. Exhortation, let's talk about that one. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. So this is, whereas the gift of teaching primarily appeals to the mind uh, and is about biblical truth, right doctrine, uh, the gift of exhortation is more uh, appeals to the person's heart and to their actions. Uh, it's a wide range of more emotional type things, comfort, encouragement, urging someone, admonishing someone. It's, it's coming alongside of them and figuring out what that person needs and helping to move them along in their Christian life. So here would be some things that might be true of an exhorter. Uh, I'm a people magnet. Uh, I'm good at coming alongside of people who are hurting. I see potential in people, sometimes to a fault. Uh, people come to me when they are discouraged or wavering in their faith. Uh, when people are facing a tough decision, I express confidence that they will make the right choice. Uh, I'm willing to take a risk on difficult people, even if others have given up on them. And I'm quick to commend others for a job well done. Uh, so great places for an exhorter to serve, a greeter ministry, a marriage mentors, again, small group leaders, potential pitfall, however, is that because they are people magnets, uh, exhorters can become drained. Uh, they can just be giving out, giving out, giving out, uh, and they believe people and they hope the best for people, and then they sometimes get discouraged when people don't uh, live up to that potential. They, they might, the exhorter might find himself or herself wanting change for that person more than that person wants it uh, for themselves, and so this can lead to discouragement. Giving, let's talk about that gift. The one who contributes in generosity. Now, every Christian is to give, but there are some who are particularly energized by it. Uh, so the Greek word here that's uh, rendered uh, generosity is difficult to render into English. It has the sense of simplicity, openness, sincerity. And so the point seems to be here is that when we give, if we have that gift of giving, there should be no dual motive. In other words, we're giving just to bless the person. It's not like we're giving and then also we have like a little string attached to that thing and we're like, oh, I can build an alliance here and then later on I might need to cash in that favor. None of that stuff. It's just we give with open hands. So here would be some statements for somebody with the gift of giving. I manage my money well so I can give more. I live below my means so that I can help others anonymously. Uh, when I receive unexpected income, my first thought is how I could use this for kingdom purposes. Um, I'm energized when a ministry that I, do, uh, that I support does well. Um, I prefer not to call attention to myself when meeting the needs uh, of individuals and organizations. So places to serve here for somebody with the gift of giving, a benevolence ministry, stewardship ministry, a deacon, all of those would be good places. Potential pitfall, though. Sometimes the person that likes to give and sometimes doesn't even realize it, but they're giving with strings attached. Or they expect something in return. Uh, not good. Let's talk about leadership. The one who leads with zeal. Um, so the word that for leads here literally means to stand before, just like I'm doing it. it. It's used for a person who presides over a group of some kind. But it's, it's not just a speaker. It, it's also used of like the father in a home. It's protection and provision. It's, it's kind of like our word pastor uh, to a large extent. And so uh, it's not just about direction. It includes that, but there's more. So we're to lead, those of us who lead are to lead with zeal, haste, eagerness, diligent. Like we're to be on it. 
So here would be some statements for somebody with the gift of leadership. I'm able to sense the direction that God desires his people to move. I am energized by goals and objectives. Uh, I find it more efficient to delegate a task uh, than to do it myself. Uh, Others often look to me for direction, and people tend to give their best uh, when working under me. So places to serve here for somebody with the gift of leadership, uh, elder, deacon, some kind of ministry team leader. Potential pitfall. Well, the potential pitfall here is sometimes this person has a hard time following others. And even in a ministry where they are not the leader, they might try to take uh, the leadership, especially if the person who is the leader is floundering a bit. Let's look at the seventh gift here, mercy, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So this is the person who shows compassion for someone in a desperate need. Uh, This could be providing meals uh, for the sick. It could be caring for the poor. uh, It could be helping the disabled, helping those who are unemployed find work, helping those who... um, helping with like practical details, those who are burying somebody or those in prison. So when you have the gift of mercy uh, and you're showing mercy to other people, you need to be cheerful uh, because that person who's in that point of suffering is often overwhelmed. uh, And so they need a smiling face to come alongside of them and encourage them in their suffering. So here would be some statements that would be true of somebody with the gift of mercy. I'm deeply troubled by the plight of the poor. I prefer to work among those who are marginalized and alienated. I am sometimes sometimes moved to tears when I hear of people suffering, even if they're halfway around the world. Uh, I reach out with love and dignity to those who are going through some ordeal. Uh, I enjoy spending time with those who are lonely. I can serve cheerfully in situations that others might find depressing. Uh, So some places to serve for a person with the gift of mercy, congregational care, Uh, benevolence, uh, if there's a food pantry, or or partnering with some kind of inner city ministry. Now, to use this gift or any of the other gifts, you don't have to be involved in a formal ministry of the church. A lot of this stuff is just body life. You could just be doing it in the context of talking with people after the service or before the service. One potential pitfall for people with the gift of mercy is that they can be soft on sin. So those are the seven gifts. If I've read through these and you're like, well, none of those really sound like me, don't be alarmed. There's still a dozen more, um, but these are representative. So how do you know what your spiritual gift is? If you see certain needs and you are drawn to those needs, uh, you seem to intuitively know what to do or say in those situations. You are actually energized by engaging in that activity. It's not a drain to you. It actually puts fuel back in the tank. You achieve a good effect, and you receive affirmation from others. And I'll tell you, if you're looking to figure out what your spiritual gift is, and you're trying a bunch of different stuff in the church, and you begin to get affirmation, wow, that thing that you said, that thing that you did, it really blessed me. Pay close attention to that, because that could be the Lord letting you know how he has gifted you to serve. So where are you at with your knowledge and deployment of your spiritual gifts. Now, some believers are not serving anywhere, either in the church or outside the church. Perhaps it's a matter of ignorance. You just like, this is like the first time you have ever even heard about this kind of stuff. This is like brand new. You're like the people at Ephesus that they've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. You know, so maybe that's you. But maybe it's actually disobedience. You know, you're just not doing it. 
Now, some believers are serving, but they're not serving in their area of giftedness. The Holy Spirit has wired you to do one type of ministry, but you're actually doing another, perhaps, because they had a need and you were willing to volunteer, but you feel like a fish out of water in that thing. You need to actually figure out how God has gifted you to serve and begin to serve in that area. You need to get the right seat on the church bus. Now, some of you, I don't know who this is for this morning, but some of you are actually serving too much. Every time somebody asks you to do something, you take it on, you've got one more thing and one more thing, and you've got 12 different things, and you're here at the church four nights a week, and, and you might actually need to let some of that go and focus on one or two areas and really put your best effort into that rather than spreading yourself out. You, you know, you're, you're headed for burnout, and then you're not going to want to do anything. So for the long run, find that area or two that you're really good at and focus on them. Now, some of you used to serve somewhere, but for whatever reason, you're taking a time out right now. Maybe you're like Timothy, and Paul told him, you need to fan into flame the gift of God. You used to be serving so good in this area, but now you've just been on the bench for a long time. Get back into the game. Some of us are serving in our area of giftedness, but we're holding on too tight. We've become attached to that area of ministry. We're, we're deriving our identity from it. And so we can become like jealous and we don't want other people to take over what we do. Mine, my own, my precious. You know? We need to have an open hand when it comes to ministry. And it may well be that God sends somebody into the church that has a stronger gifting than we do. And we need to have the humility that John the Baptist had of, wow, this person is, is beyond me and I need to decrease so that they can increase because I'm all about the good of the body, not about what's good for me personally. One day I know somebody is going to succeed me as the senior pastor of the Village Church of Barrington. When that day comes, like, how am I going to handle that? I put my life into that church for nine years now, and who knows what, how long it'll be by that time. Am I going to just be able to say, praise God, go for it, brother, preach the word and lead, and am I going to be able to retreat humbly? Or is that going to be a hard handoff? What about you? This sermon is a call to action. 1 Peter 4.10 that we read earlier, Peter says we are stewards of our gifts. God has entrusted these gifts to us and we are accountable to him to use them to grow and to strengthen the church. How are we doing on that? When Jesus comes back one day, are we going to be able to give him a good return on his investment in us? Are we going to be able to be like the person who received the five talents and said, here's your five back and here's five more? Or here's the two that you gave me and here's two more? Or are we going to be like the guy that had the one and buried it? And so when the Lord comes, we have nothing extra to give him. Most Americans tend to have an inflated view of our own abilities and importance. Jesus calls us to humility, to esteem others as being more significant than ourselves. That is so countercultural. So we can only do this as the Holy Spirit 
does a work in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and, and we acknowledge that we are sinful people. We are prideful. We are selfish. We prefer ourselves above others. We think we're so hot. But Father, we look at your Son, Jesus Christ, and we look at the way that he had everything in glory with you. And yet he walked away from all of the prerogatives of deity. He took on flesh. He came to this earth and served and died for us. Father, we pray that you would build this same thing in us, that you would give us humility. It's not natural to us. Give us a love for other people. Father, help us to focus on you and to put you first above all things and to know our rightful place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.